I had thought about this idea years and years and years ago, but I just was like, oh, that's so out of my, you know, my wheelhouse. And, you know, could I do something like this? And when I, when I, when I read his book, it really, it spoke to me and what I needed to do to create a different kind of a story. And then it was just easy. It was literally, I knew that this was the one, that the Delilah story was the one I was going to write. Everything after that was absolutely impossible and difficult with red tape. And we had to get, you know, the lyric approval and we had to get Tom on board. And that was really challenging. And I almost gave up a few times and I'm just so glad that I did. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. We are so grateful you've chosen to spend some time with us. Our guest today is a fantastic example of how a small kernel of an idea can grow and inspire one of the most fun and fabulous books out this fall. We're so excited to have Rochelle Weinstein with us today. Her newest book, What You Do to Me, is a gem, and we cannot wait to hear all about it. I am Ron Block. And I am Christy Woodson Harvey, and I am equally as excited to get to welcome my dear friend, Rochelle B. Weinstein, who is the USA Today and Amazon bestselling author of seven women's fiction novels, including When We Let Go, This Is Not How It Ends, and Somebody's Daughter. A former entertainment industry executive, she splits her time between sunny Florida and the mountains of North Carolina. As Miami's NBC Six in the Mix monthly book contributor, Rochelle is on the hunt for the next great read while she teaches publishing workshops at Nova Southeastern University. She is a very busy lady. She loves uh-huh. hiking, beach walks, her two dogs, and finding the world's best nachos. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Rochelle. Thank you so much, Christy and Ron. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Oh, well, we loved this book so much, and yep, we're so excited did. to share it with readers today. And so we wanted just to start out by asking you if you could tell readers who might not be familiar what this novel is about, and then in true friends and fiction fashion, if you can tell us what it's really about. Okay, so um, what you do to me is inspired by the song, Hey There, Delilah. Um, I don't know if if all everyone out there knows the song, but you are going to have it stuck in your head after you read this book. (laughs) Hey there, Delilah. Like every time it's, it's not just after you read it. It's every time you think of it, you get the song stuck in your head again. It's such a good song. (laughs) And uh, people are going to be in their cars and it's going to come on and I'm going to get screenshots like, look what just came on. I was just <laughs> reading your book. So what, what happened was a couple of years ago, I, I fell in love with that song. Okay. And I, I just thought it was just so beautiful and lyrical and sultry and sexy and romantic. And of course, being curious and inquisitive, I went and looked, you know, the deep dive and to see what the real story was behind the song. And if there really was a Delilah And there was a Delilah 
And Tom Higginson, who's the lead singer for the Plain White Tees, he lived in Chicago at the time. Well, he still lives in Chicago. And he was at a bar and he met Delilah and she was at Columbia University. She was a runner there. And he, I don't know, listen, I, I'm, I pulled all of this off the internet. So this is, this is all hearsay, <laughs> but I wasn't there, though I would have liked to have been. And he basically told her he was going to write a song for her. And she had a boyfriend at the time. So, you know, some people thought that was kind of icky. And some people thought that might have been kind of stalkerish. I personally thought it was so romantic, like to have somebody, anyone in the world, write me a love song. So he ended up, he ended up writing this song. She stayed with her boyfriend. I'm assuming the song didn't bother her so much because she did go to the Grammys with Tom Higginson. So I'm sure it was fun for her. Um, but there was no relationship and that beautiful romantic song, you know, didn't culminate into anything. So I just decided to have fun and to play with it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to reimagine this story. I'm going to reimagine the characters. I'm going to have a wholly different, you know, backdrop setting, time zone, time frame. And that was basically the impetus behind what you do to me, which, as you guys know, is a lyric straight from from the song. And I just rewrote the love story that I imagined. Now, we did, you, 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 that's what the story's about. But yeah. obviously there's layers, there's peeling onions, there's a dual timeline. We have the love story between Sarah and Eddie, a young girl and her forbidden love. She's Jewish, he's not, he comes from Argentina. And we also have the story in present day of Cecilia and how she deals with the, the broken relationship with her father and how it inhibits her from finding love. Mm -hmm. And I believe this book is truly about music and lyrics coming together and ultimately bringing Cecilia that happy ending she's been looking for. I love that. I do too. <laughs> of course, now the song is like again in my head. Yep, Thanks. Yep. <laughs> I, I can't sing it for you because I'm a terrible singer. <laughs> Oh, well, we can imagine it, though. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Cecilia, who's your main character, as you said, and a little bit about how she became interested in solving the mystery of the relationship. So Cecilia James is an interesting character. I feel like she's very complex, and she does at some points remind me of me. And I think a lot of authors see themselves in their pro tags, you know, some of their good qualities and some of their not so good qualities or somebody that they would like to be. And I loved Cecilia's spunky personality. She was, she was born to a couple that basically um, they were Woodstock loving couple back in the seventies. They raised her with music in the background. And she always believed that her parents had this wonderful loving relationship and, you know, music was magic that filled their lives. And, her dad, Don James, ends up leaving Cecilia and her mother, Gloria, for another woman and has two little girls with her. And Cecilia is devastated and her mother's devastated. And then to add insult to injury, Cecilia ends up losing her mother. And it is a tragic, tragic loss for her. So she's got this real tenuous relationship with her dad and she's angry and she's resentful. But music is still, music has raised her in a lot of ways. And she finds that comfort and that, that solace in, in, in music and lyrics and understanding, you know, these words behind some of these greatest love songs. So she ends up at Rolling Stone magazine 
Um, she works her way up from an intern and she's going to meet her boyfriend, Pete, on this fabulous cruise. He's a photojournalist and she pit stops and finds the, what she believes is the, a, a clue to the, to the inspiration behind the song, What You Do To Me. And from there, everything just takes a, a turn as she doesn't get on the cruise and her relationship is in jeopardy and she's questioning what she wants and who she is and, you know, why she's so hungry to find this inspiration and what it, what it symbolizes for her. I love that part so much. And just like that idea that we come to these forks in the road in our real lives and we have to make these decisions and sometimes they seem insane, <laughs> but you have to kind of chase the thing that you can't stop thinking about. Right. And I think that actually dovetails really nicely into my next question, because when you reached out with the premise for this story, I was like, yes, like this is going to be amazing. Like I was so excited. I, I love that song. I could sing every word to it, but I will not. Um, and I love that it inspired this novel, but I'm always interested. You told us a little bit about like the origin story for this novel, but I'm interested, was this something that like you sat, like it sort of formulated for you a little bit, or was it something that you had that moment of like, this is a book and I'm going to write it. Like, how did that happen? Was it like slow, slow burn or was it like, yes. It's interesting. Um, this book is a departure from my, from my other books. I think there's yeah. still the emotional piece that, you know, resonates in my other novels, but I really wanted to, a departure from what I had been writing. I wanted to challenge myself with a different type of a story. And I had been thinking about it and, and I have to give MJ Rose credit. She's, you, you know, MJ, sure, I'm sure. Yeah. And she and I were talking one day and she told me to read Donald Massey's book, um, you know, how to write the breakout novel. And she goes, don't take this as an insult because I, she goes, I believe that the most um, accomplished writer should still read it um, because there's some, there's always, there's something to learn there. And what I did learn there was about, you know, high concepts. We talk right. about high concepts as writers. Right. And I wanted to, again, I wanted a different type of a story. And I felt that this had that piece of high concept that I was looking for. <laughs> and I had thought about this idea years and years and years ago, but I just was like, oh, that's so out of my, you know, my wheelhouse. And, you know, could I do something like this? And when I, when I, when I read the book about, when I read his book, it really, it spoke to me and what I needed to do to create a different kind of a story. And then it was just easy. It was literally, I knew that this was the one, that the Delilah story was the one I was going to write. Everything after that was absolutely impossible and difficult with red tape. And we had to get, you know, the lyric approval and we had to get Tom on board. And that was really challenging. And I almost gave up a few times and I'm just so glad that I did it. That's incredible. I'm so glad I asked that question because I'm a skeptic because I was like, no, she's really talked a little bit about the origin. And now I have to go read that book. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't read it's, that. it's writing the breakout novel. Um, you know, it's, and I ha oh, I had breakfast with Allison Hammer this morning and she says oh. hi to everybody. Oh. And we were I talking about her. this. Hi, and we, we were talking her. about how if you can easily describe your book in one sentence, that one hook, how it really, it, it really, I, 
makes it an easier book to write and an easier book to sell. I know that those are just like easy things to say, but I find when I'm, when people are like, Oh, what's Delilah? What's this book about? And I'm like, it's a Rolling Stone reporter on the hunt for the muse behind a famous love song. It just rolls off my tongue. So, and I, and I believe that really translates into an easier book to write when you really understand what your goal is and what you're going after. Well, that's such a good point too. And it also makes it, it de- sometimes I feel like my biggest struggle with a book, which is insane. It's like you've spent 400 pages writing a book and then you have to sum up what it's about in three sentences or less. And it's like impossible to do. And you're right. If you can say, you know, it's so about three best friends who come together to save their summer camp. It's really easy to tell someone what that book is about. <laughs> <laughs> and we love summer of songbirds, don't we? Yes, we do. That was the first thing that popped into my head. But you know, when you have a little, like, just that one little thing, and you're like, okay, everything else is happening around it, but this is what the bug is about. Yep. yep. Okay, so you mentioned a little bit about the, getting this endorsement, but that opening letter from the, the plain white tees and the endorsement for, of the book was kind of. Gave me chills. Um, I was crying. Oh, I bet. I can only imagine. Can you talk about how that really came about? And um... Sure. I'm happy to. So I have to give all the credit to my friend, Doug Cohn. I used to work in the music business uh, back in the day. And Doug was one of my clients at Atlantic Records. He's since moved out to Los Angeles. He's been at Nickelodeon. He's been all over. And when I told him about the concept, he's like, well, I know Tom. And I'm like, okay, just like hold that in your bucket. I'm going to probably circle back to you. So he gave me Tom's first. I had to go through the record record label and the managers. And then I had to go through like Warner Chapel and, you know, the music publishers and whatnot. And I'm probably getting it wrong. I don't even remember if it was Warner Chapel. So I have to double check that. <laughs> but, um, I had to go through the publishing, the the music publishing companies and the managers. And I was getting like no responses. And I was like, Doug, I'm thinking you may have to just reach out to him directly. He did. And we got the licensing. And then I told him I'd really like for Tom to do some type of anything, an endorsement, you know, pub day love, book cover, you know, uh, reveal. So he gave me Tom's email and his cell phone and I reached out to him. I'm like, oh my God, I am texting like Tom Houston. I was a little like fangirling and like a couple days went by. I heard nothing. And then all of a sudden I get a text from Tom saying, Hey, it's Tom, you know, Doug's, Doug's friend. And he's like, you know, can you talk? It's X, Y, Z time. So I was like, oh my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I will never forget this. I was walking my dogs and we were on the phone and I was trying to act all cool and chill. And I just was like, look, I said, I really love for you to write the forward. He was very clear that he's not a reader. Shame on you, Tom. <laughs> and he's like, um, you know, what, what do you really want me to say? Like, cause he's like, I don't want to come out and say like, I, you know, this was the best book I've ever read. I mean, he was being really authentic and real, which I could appreciate. I said, just what it means to you to have somebody write a book based on your song. And, um, he goes, okay. He's like, um, give me a few. And then I got the text and I was like, are you kidding me? Like I was, I wrote him back. I'm crying. I think I might've told him I'm now in love with him. And, um, <laughs> um, you're probably I, I are really, the first person. So it's probably I normal. Just, I him. mean, there's just something about being able to express yourself that way. And I guess we get that with being writers. 
Um, being able to express yourself. I mean, songwriters are at the very core writers <laughs> and to being able to be able to express himself. And I loved his humility. I loved that he was like, so taken aback that somebody found the song relevant enough to create a story about it. But he was amazing. Yeah. What a great story. That's oh. incredible. That must've just made it feel so even much more gratifying than it had already. Um, and speaking of things that hopefully felt really gratifying, there is a really strong sense of Jewish representation in this novel, which just, you know, perusing like reviews and what people are saying about this book online, people have shown a massive amount of appreciation for that part of this story. And so I'm just wondering, like, did you go into this story? Like, was that something that was on your mind or was it just the story? Do you know what I mean? Like, was it purposeful or was it just like, this is the story? I know that I knew that I needed to have a forbidden love. I needed yeah. to have, you know, and it was, you know, you could, there's so many different tropes for that, you know, and I, and it's Miami beach and, you know, there's a big Jewish population down there. So it really sure. just fit the story and it's, you know, you write what you know. So I understood the religious piece and I understood Miami beach in that time. What I will say is that originally in one of the, the earlier drafts, the story was about a, a ultra off, but it was an orthodox girl. Mm-hmm. And like I used the term orthodox. Mm-hmm. And when I had one of my early friends read it, who's orthodox, she's mm-hmm. like, you can't do this. And she, you know, she pointed out all the ways why. Um, there's orthodox, there's modern orthodox, there's reform, there's conservative, and there's so many different interpretations within each, you know, denomination. Right. It was really important for me to get it right. It was really yeah. important for me to not pigeonhole myself in one. So you'll notice that there's no, it never once says this is a reformed Jewish family. This is a conservative Jewish family. It's sort of like, um, it, it, it really can't be a mixture, but it is somewhat, it, it's a very Jew. It's a Jewish family. That's very close knit. And it's, that's very relatable. Yeah. You know, in this community. That's great. Well, I love that. And obviously, like I said, you, that was something that jumped out at me. Like the readers really appreciated, you know, how you worked that in the story. Yep. Yep. Uh, people that weren't familiar with it learned a lot. Other people mm-hmm. felt seen. Uh, some of those mm-hmm. things were really um, great elements to the story. I want to go back to the earworms again, though. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the chapter the title, the earworms, like the songs that get in your head. I think I've sung. Oh. I, I was able to sing every chapter heading that you had in the book. Um, <laughs> Did you decide those ahead of time or did they come out of each chapter as you were writing? I knew that each chapter was going to be based on a song that was written for a specific person. I really wanted to even include in the back of the book, like the story behind that song, but the book would have been like 900 pages. (laughs) Um, The sequel. (laughs) Yeah, it was, listen, you could do a quick Google search and you could find songs with names And then you can pick the ones like in a certain era or the ones that speak to you. And I chose a lot of them that spoke to me. I mean, a lot of those songs are the soundtrack of my life of like growing up. And I had parents that music was always playing and I can remember where I was when the song was playing and I can be reverted and transported right back to childhood. And I think that there's such a gift in music and that ability to transport that's so, it's cool. so true. It's so true. It took me back too, because each of those songs, there's things that I had heard before in the past and um, just kind of brought it all back. And I think it just added a great layer of flavor to the book. 
Did you uh, did you end up making a playlist? Like, yeah, we have a playlist. We have a playlist, and it's just I've been I'm a little I'm a little wonky right now because I'm my I'm writing my eighth book and I'm launching book seven. So I'm, <laughs> Christy, you know, I mean, I'm being pulled in 90 directions, but the playlist is done. I just have to get it out there. Gotcha. Can't wait. We can't wait. Did you have any run-ins with or, or experience with the original songs? If there was any part of the book where, where people were trying to intersect um, some original songs rather than songs that had been already recorded. Um, when I first pitched this book, I had some real, I had a lot of pushback that it, it should have been an original song and we should not have used something that was already out. Gotcha. A lot of, a lot of pushback. Really? Yes. In fact, Interesting. yeah, um, I had, I had some, I had some people tell me that he was a stalker and you don't want to be associated with that song. I had you, you know, when it's an original song, there's no um, opinion already formulated and associated with it. And there was some negativity because of this Delilah's piece. And again, I, I just reframed it and I was like, okay, but for me, it was so romantic. Right. Um, and they just felt that it would be better to just have something original. And then also, I mean, publishing houses don't want to deal with the red tape and getting, you know, lyric approval. It's just, it could have been easier to have an original song. And I actually, before we got, before we got the lyric approval, I had two of my son's friends write me original songs. Oh. So I had them as backup and I used some of their lyrics in the book and they're, okay. they're, they're noted in the acknowledgements. Gotcha. Okay. So okay. there were like little bits and pieces of those original songs in the book. Correct. That's very cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. You know, I can see from like a red tape perspective, how it'd be so much easier, but the like marketing side of my brain is like, if you're using a song that already exists, whether people have good feelings about it or bad feelings about it, I still think it makes them want to read the book. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I and that's fun. why I didn't give up. And this was a really tough book. And Thanks to Danielle Marshall, my editor, she believed in it from the minute I pitched it to her. And, you know, when you have that support, um, it helps. Um, I just didn't want to give up. I, if I could tell you, I'm sure Dan Danielle hated me at various times during this when we like didn't get lyric approval. And she's like, Rochelle, the book is this and we need to do this and we need to move forward. When I tell you, I was like, I was ready to give up and go with, you know, the kids, the, the kids um, songs. And I'm just really glad that I didn't. Hmm. Well, so are we. And so are readers. And so this is a little snippet from review on Goodreads. Obviously, people can go on your editorial page and see all of the amazing blurbs and professional reviews you've gotten. But I loved this. And I thought that like it really encapsulated the story. So she said, it's a love story inside of a love story inside of a love story. There's so much pain, <laughs> countless mistakes and heavy regret. But there's also overwhelming love, redemption, happiness and life. And so this leads me into the question, I mean, in relationship to this book, but really in all of your stories and then maybe just in life in general, how do you feel about happy endings? Like, is that something that you're like, I'm going to give my reader a happy ending? Are you more of like, a, hmm, sometimes they can be happy, sometimes they're not? Like, how do you, what's your relationship with happy endings? That's a great question, Christy. I should be asking you that question. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's funny, as I was listening to you say that, my gut was telling me 
I like bittersweet endings. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of like a combination of both. Like I don't, I mean, the, the, the super pat ending is great, Mm -hmm. but I also like those bittersweet moments where you feel like you've had to lose something in Mm -hmm. order to gain that happy ending. So it's really worthwhile, but there's still this thoughtful, deep element to it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I love that. That's a great answer. It's like working for the happy ending, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the journey, but I'm not trying just to think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back to all my titles and a lot of them, I mean, you could say that they're happy endings, but there's always, it's, they're always crying at the end. My readers are always crying right. at the right. end. So it, right. it's a bittersweet. It's a bittersweet. And I think right. that's realistic too, in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. It's life. You know, mm-hmm. it's what, Mm-hmm. Not everything's a happy ending. That's right. No. So I want to just talk a little bit because I know when I read the book, it really made me, like I alluded to, it really made me think about my bring, upbringing, my life, and things, and how what what music has meant to me over the years. Can you talk a little bit about your feelings about um, music and and its role in humanity? Wow, I'm actually writing an article right now for the the, the JBC, the Paper Brigade, and I should just read it to you guys because literally, I'm just, okay with that. <laughs> oh, no. um, we really tapped into something there, Ron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, books and music. I believe they 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 co-parented, they step-parented me. Um, I I was the fourth child, and my I was my I lived with my single mom, and. It was, there was chaos in my house and music and books took me away and transported me and made me feel things that I wasn't necessarily feeling in my life. And they also taught me a lot. And when I say the, like the music is the soundtrack, like you could see the soundtrack of my life through music. It's the same with books at different periods of my life. So um, to write a book about music really encapsulates everything that I, that I think and that I feel and what these two mediums mean to me. Um, and, I, and I've said this several times already, but it, music is transporting to me. It brings me back to childhood. It brings me back to memories. It's um, nostalgic. It connects me to people. Um, it has, it has a, a real power that um, words alone do not have. It says things that words cannot. It makes you feel things. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so true. I agree. I could like write the story of my life based on like my favorite song of the time, or it is. It's 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 incredible how you can listen to a song and just be transported back to a moment in your life. And I don't know about you, but do you ever? I mean, I try not to do this, but I guess every now and then we have to for certain reasons. But do you ever go back and read like one of your older books, or like you know you're listening to a piece of it or something, and Okay. Well, you're, she's shaking her head. No, y'all can't see. But every now and then, like I have to do that for like, say, um, like a mass market's coming out or something. And they're like, do you want any changes? And, um, but I can remember, like, I'll read it. And like, I can think of exactly where I was sitting or exactly what I was going through or exactly what my life. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember, see, I don't, okay. I don't read my books. The minute they come out, I don't read them. I don't listen to them. It's like, they're the most neglected child in the world. Mm-hmm. I put them in the world and it's like fend for yourself. Cause yep. I mean, Christy, you know, you're going to look at your book and you're gonna be like, I need to change this word. Oh, I need to fix it's this word. Torture. It's torture. torture. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't go back and read it, but I 
do know where I was, where I was writing, what I was feeling, what the songs were. And it's funny, Catherine McKenzie, another author, she, she might be surprised to know that I remember this, but in her back of her book, I believe she writes, I was here, 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 like all the locations of where she wrote her book. Oh, wow. And I'm wondering that. if we should start doing and this song, you know, inspired me during this. Like, I think that's a cool that's thing a to really add. Really cool little time capsule. I love yeah. that. Okay, Rochelle, well, you have been an amazing guest, which is no surprise. So before we let you go, can you tell us where readers can find you online and in person in the following weeks and months, besides sitting in front of your laptop working on your new book, which we're all really happy about? (laughs) Okay, so I am at RochelleWeinstein.com. I have a newsletter that goes out every month, and I'm on... Instagram and Facebook and I don't know anywhere you could find your favorite authors I guess yeah she's everywhere I'm everywhere it's like embarrassing a little bit annoying (laughs) sometimes right not at all untrue okay so I I know we're about to say goodbye but I just have one more thing what do you what are your thoughts about sad songs that's always a topic of conversation Oh, well, my family and one of my close friends, Liz, calls me a Demi Downer. Yes. You know, the, 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 like the, the sadder the song, the happier I am. Exactly. You know, it's like I, I, there's something about a sad song that's just like what we're talking about. It really just pulls you in and it makes you feel things. I feel like it mines like it from the inside. It like digs deep inside. And it touches on your emotions and your feelings. It's hard to not feel something. I love that. I love that too. And Rochelle, thank you so much. It was so great to meet you. Oh, you're got you guys are amazing. Such a love you, love you, Christy, and all your books and all the girls and every all the girls. Love you. I know. And I hope I get to see you again when you're like doing your coming through drive. I will for (laughs) sure. Do it. And as always, we thank you for joining the podcast this week. Are you dying to get your hands on a copy of what you do to me? Want to save a little cash and help independent bookstores? Head over to our friendsinfictionbookshop.org page to buy a copy. We appreciate you and hope you'll tune in again next week. And don't forget to tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.